It is uh, good to be back with you all this morning, um, bringing God's Word to you uh, this morning. Uh, next week, as I mentioned uh, earlier, is the kind of the launch of our fall ministry uh, schedule, at least on Sunday mornings. And so uh, as we approach that, um, and as we get ready for a new series looking at the, the Gospel of Mark, uh, we, we thought it would be appropriate for us to just take a, a week and, and look at um, who God is calling us to be as a church. What is God calling us to do? What are we called to be like as we uh, hope to honor God, glorify God um, as, as a church body as well as as individuals? And one of the things that we want to look at this morning is just this concept of hospitality. This, uh, what does it mean to be hospitable? What does it mean to care for one another, to love one another? And there's this book out there. It's called The Simplest Way to Change the World. And in this book, the author, uh, Dustin Willis, describes a life that many of us, I'm sure, can relate to at least to some extent. Uh, it's a life that really desires to change the world, uh, a life that desires to make a difference in the world. My three-year-old Silas, if you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, the optimist in him will respond by saying he wants to be Superman Silas when he grows up. The other half of the time, he'll, he'll answer that by saying he wants to be a diesel mechanic when he grows up, so no guarantees if you ask him after the service what he wants to be. There's this desire within each and every one of us, I think, maybe deep down, way deep down in each of us, there's this desire to, to make a difference in the world, to, to live a life that matters. And so when you ask young children what they want to be when they grow up, they'll say they want to be an astronaut, or they want to be a professional athlete, or they want to be a movie star, or they want to be a superhero, or on and on and on. But as we get older, we get more cynical, and we convince ourselves that we become more realistic. And so we change our desires from wanting to make a difference in the world, to live a life that actually matters, to just getting by. The uh, person who delivered Crystal and I's college commencement address actually delivered a speech called, You Can't Change the World, So Stop Trying, which is a, a great way to, to be sent out into the world after graduating from college in the midst of the, the recession from about a decade ago. Perhaps many of us find ourselves in that exact same place where we've resigned ourselves to live a life that is just simply pursuing happiness at best and on the other hand, at worst, is just a, a sense of, of uh, useless, pointless drudgery in our lives. And any thought of making a true difference in the world, any thought of making a lasting change in the world is one of the last things on our minds, the pressures, the burdens of work, of family dynamics, of, of co-workers, and all those things leave us at a place that when we get to the end of the day, all we really want to do is unplug. All we really want to do is just unplug with our favorite TV show or our favorite book or our favorite hobby and just relax. And this happens over and over and over, and days drag into weeks, and weeks drag into months, and months drag into years, and all of a sudden, you realize that your home, the place that you live, which you've always looked at as a place of refuge, a place to relax, has now become a fortress, a place that, that protects you from the world. And so as we begin looking at this topic this morning, I want us to ask the question, I want us to wrestle with this question, how do you, how do you view your dwelling place? 
Whether you own or rent, how do you view your dwelling place? Whether it's a a home or a condo or an apartment, is your view of your, your dwelling place a refuge, a place that is off limits to the world, a place that is reserved solely for you and for your family? Or do you view it as a tool that God has entrusted to you in order to spread his kingdom? Help us answer that question. Here are a couple other questions. Answer these in your head. When's the last time that you had someone from church that you don't know all that well into your home? When is the last time that you had a neighbor or a coworker into your home? When is the last time that you shared a meal with a neighbor? From our church's perspective, on a scale of one to 10, if a first-time visitor walked in the door, how likely would they be to come back to Crosswinds because of what you did to make them feel welcomed and a part of the church? How would you define hospitality? Is hospitality simply the greeting time where we shake hands with those that are sitting around us? Or is hospitality just the cookies and the coffee before or after the service? Or does it refer to something more? And this morning, I want us to to look at this this divorce that exists between the way we view our homes and the Christian calling uh, to to be hospitable, to live a life that is is overflowing in generosity. As Christians, we are called to be those who love God supremely, to love others sacrificially. And I want us to ask, do our attitudes concerning, concerning the home reflect that charge? Many of us find ourselves at a place with, where we think that the thought of us making a true difference in the world, the thought of us making a, a lasting change in the world is something that is laughable. And at times, it, it certainly does so to me. I'm someone who is intimately aware of, of how hard it is to get a one-year-old to eat her vegetables. And if I struggle with that, how am I able to stand up here claiming that we can actually make a difference in the world, that God has given us the ability to make a difference in the world? But what if God has gifted us? Every single one of us in this room, what if God has gifted us with all of the tools that we need to make an impact forever in the lives of those that God has sovereignly placed us in? To make a lasting change in our community, in our region, and yes, even in our world. And that's what this morning is all about. It's a call for us to pursue hospitality. It is not a call for us to burn ourselves out or to stretch ourselves so thin that we find ourselves at a place where we never have time to rest, never have time to to feel rejuvenated, never have personal time for our family. It is a call for us to see how God can use us to spread his kingdom right here in Northwest Iowa. This is not a guilt trip saying that we are not doing enough. It is instead a a gospel-empowered desire to follow the example that Christ sets for us. And in fact, if you were to sum up this morning's charge in just one sentence, I think that that would be that exact same thing this morning. We are to pursue hospitality in the exact same way that Christ has pursued us. We are to pursue hospitality in the exact same way that Christ has pursued us with a generous love for others, welcoming others in the exact same way that Christ himself loved us and poured himself out for us and welcomed us into his family. 
And so as we explore this topic this morning, I want us to look at it in just three separate parts. First, I want to look at the, this charge to pursue hospitality as something that is integral for each and every Christian, each and every one of us. As we are disciples of Christ, we are called to be hospitable. Second, I want us to look at our motive for hospitality. It's not guilt. Instead, it is something different. And then finally, I want us to just spend some time looking at a few practical ways that we can live this out as Christians today. So as we approach uh, this, this topic, let's, let's pray together once more. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we uh, ask that you would be present among us this morning, that you would be the one who teaches us, that you would be the one who is at work in our hearts. And God, I know that the, the way that this sermon should be applied in everyone's life is going to be different. And so we ask now that it would be your spirit who comes and helps us to apply this into our lives. Our unique circumstances, our unique situations, our unique gifts. God, it is our desire to honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first, let's look at this, this call to hospitality and how it is meant to, to be an integral part of our discipleship. As we explore the Bible, we will quickly notice that hospitality is not something that is an optional add-on for the Christian, but is instead a non-negotiable of discipleship. It's a non-negotiable of discipleship. If you were to, to examine the, the life rhythms and the habits of a Christian. If you were to give a list of what describes a, a healthy Christian, what would you say? What life habits, what rhythms would you say? You'd most likely say reading the Bible, time in prayer, church attendance, volunteering uh, in the community, volunteering in the church, faithful uh, participation in what the church does. But I, get, I would guess that few of us would say that consistent and faithful hospitality is one of the clearest pictures, the clearest descriptions, uh, descriptions of the faithful Christian life. And yet as we look at the Bible, we see that being hospitable, being someone who is welcoming uh, to those that, that we may not know all that well, is one of the most important pieces of the Christian life. What does it mean to be hospitable? Well, these past few weeks, the, this this idea of hospitality has been on my mind a lot. It's been something I've been thinking about a lot in preparation for this sermon. Crystal and I have had conversations about that, but it hasn't really spilled into our conversations with our toddlers. So imagine my surprise this past week when I came home from work after spending a, a, a significant portion of my day thinking about hospitality. I walk in the door and my three-year-old grabs me by the hand and says to me, come on, dad, it's time to go to the hospitable. It's time to go to the hospitable. And so he brings me to this part of the house, which he had described as the hospitable. And he asks me to stay there while he and his sister bring me food. They make sure that I'm comfortable. They ask how my day is, and they make sure that I have a great stay at the hospitable. Now, of course, he was thinking of the hospital, the place where his mom and his baby brother had spent a few days uh, the previous week. But he unknowingly, in, in his 
uh, misunderstanding of what the hospital is actually called. In calling it a hospitable, he actually describes in, in some way what it means for us to be hospitable. It means to treat someone as an honored guest. It means to welcome that person into your life, into your home. It oftentimes involves food. It shows a genuine interest in the lives of other people. It shows a genuine interest in meeting the needs of those that you come into contact with. And all of that was unknowingly highlighted by my three-year-old when he brought me into the hospitable. But the Bible takes us a step further. The Bible, as we look at it, says that the hospitality is not just something that is primarily focused on welcoming or honoring family members or those that we know very well. It's instead welcoming or honoring those that we do not know all that well. In fact, at its core, this word hospitality in the original Greek in the New Testament is a compound word. It's a word that is made up of two separate words, love and strangers, as a charge for the church to love strangers. In fact, a survey of what the Bible says about hospitality can land us on, on it's an imperfect, but it's, it's a helpful description of what hospitality is. It's this, treating someone that is not a family member, not a close friend, as an honored guest, and it usually takes place in your home. Let me, let me say that again. Hospitality is treating someone that is not a family member, Someone that is not a guest, uh, not, a, not a close friend, as an honored guest, usually taking place in your home. A look at hospitality. As we look at the Bible, it shows that hospitality is primarily concerned with those who are serving and honoring and welcoming people into their home. And it primarily focuses on those that we do not know well, those who we would not consider to be close friends or family members. And so with that definition in mind of of what it means to be hospitable, hospitality involves bringing people we do not know into our home. And let's consider what the Bible has to say about this call to hospitality. Consider Paul's words in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Romans 12, where this text is found, is a vitally important chapter in the book of Romans and and Paul's argument here. Paul is transitioning in in chapter 12 from the theology of the gospel or what it actually means or what the significance of what Christ has done for us in chapters 1 through 11. And in chapter 12, he, he starts it with this giant therefore. He says, this is what Christ has done for you. Therefore, this is how you are to live. It's an application in the rest of Romans on how we are to live in our day-to-day lives because of what Christ has done for us. And here he tells us in verse 13 that one of the most important things for you to do with your life as a Christian is to pursue hospitality. This word, uh, the ESV translates it, seek, that it doesn't convey the force of what Paul is saying. That's why I'm using the word pursue. This is a word, this word seek in verse 13, which I'm saying is, is pursue, is a word that is used to describe military armies that are, that are victorious and they're, they're pursuing their enemies in battle to bring their victory to fruition. It is a relentless pursuit. It is not something that is optional. It is single-minded in its pursuit. It is not something that is ancillary. It is vital for faithfulness. It is not just an add-on. 
This word, pursue, is used several other times in the New Testament. Consider what it's used to describe the the company of the other things that we are to relentlessly pursue as Christians. We are to relentlessly pursue love. 1 Corinthians 14 says that. Pursue love. We are to relentlessly pursue righteousness, faithfulness, steadfastness, and gentleness. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. We are charged as Christians to pursue relentlessly peace and holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, strive, same word, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Paul shows us the weight of this word in Philippians chapter 3 when he's talking about what the, the sole aim of his life is. Chapter 3 of Philippians is a beautiful passage where Paul basically lists all of his uh, accomplishments, everything that that he could point to for his own righteousness. And then he gets to the end of this section and he says, not that I have already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on, I strive, I, I seek, I pursue to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is such a powerful passage, a beautiful passage, because it shows us the, the, the strength of this word. That Paul, as he's looking at his life, says, I'm going to pursue the righteousness of God. I'm going to pursue the resurrection with all of my energy, with all of my strength. And he uses that exact same word in Romans to describe how we are to pursue being hospitable. How we are to pursue welcoming those that we do not know into our lives. About a month ago, the importance of this was, uh, to, was made really, really clear to me as I was reading through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I was in, in Mark chapter 10, and, and many of us are familiar with the text. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is having this conversation with a rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes before Jesus, and, and he asks, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, asks him, as, as I'm sure many of us are aware of in the story, he, uh, Jesus asks him, well, what does the law say? And, and the man says, well, you know, he, he starts listing the Ten Commandments. And then uh, Jesus says, okay, do these things and you'll live. And the man says, I've done all those things from, from when I was a little boy. And then Jesus says, well, there's one thing that you lack. Uh, you must give away all your possessions and, to the poor and then follow me. And uh, the man walks away poor, or excuse me, he walks away sad because he has great wealth. And that is followed by a conversation with Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 10. I pick up in verse 23 of Mark chapter 10. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Here's what's taking place at this, uh, at this moment. The rich man uh, 
departs, and Jesus reveals the challenge that is facing those who have wealth uh, for inheriting the kingdom of God. And this leads to astonishment for his disciples. His disciples are astonished by what Jesus says because they have been raised to think that wealth is a clear sign of God's blessing. It's not a hindrance to faith. And that's why they respond to Jesus and say, well, uh, how can we be saved then? They're asking if it's impossible for those who are wealthy, those who have God's blessing as far as we've been taught, then how are we, uh, how, how do we have any hope of being saved? And then Jesus responds by essentially saying, salvation is a miracle from God's hand. It doesn't matter what your financial status is. It's a miracle from God's hand. Notice how Peter responds to this statement of Jesus. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. So Peter here is contrasting the disciples with this rich young ruler. And and what he's saying, he's saying, Jesus, we put all of our eggs in one basket. We've done exactly what you said. We believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the Christ. You are the one who is going to save us. uh, Now I need to know, are we among those who are counted as those who God is going to save? Is God going to save us? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by saying this. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Notice that phrase, in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Here, Jesus assures the disciples that by giving up everything to follow him, they are counted among those who are saved because they are his followers. Jesus' words here are words of assurance to his disciples. They're words of assurance to the person who who looks at their life, looks at the the great cost of of the gospel, and it says, is this really worth it? Jesus says, yes, it is absolutely worth it. But here's where this text becomes earth shattering when it comes to our understanding of hospitality. Now, I've seen this text used to uh, use and abuse to say that if you follow God, if you give your life to God, then he is going to bless your life with material wealth. That if you give up your wealth, then God is going to bless you a hundredfold. You will become wealthy if you follow God. But that's not what Jesus is saying. I've also seen this text, on the other hand, interpreted to say that the blessing Jesus is referring to, this 100-fold blessing that Jesus says is this life that we are given not in this life, but in the new creation. That when we are finally united with God, when we leave this world behind, then we will receive the 100-fold blessing. But that doesn't entirely make sense of what Jesus' words are here. He's talking about this hundredfold blessing coming in this time. Jesus is using, uh, is saying that these things, this hundredfold blessing is going to come now. And this should be a sign of assurance that this is worth it to follow him. So what's Jesus saying? Well, it, it seems that Jesus is saying, listen, you have left everything to follow me. 
You have left your land. You have left your homes. Some of you have even left behind your families in order to follow me. But in following me, you enter into my family. And as a part of my family, you now have countless brothers, countless sisters, countless mothers, countless children whose love for you is so great that their land, in a very real sense, is your land, that their homes, in a very real sense, are your homes, that their children are now virtually your children. You see, this is not a pronouncement of the dissolution of private property, but is a statement that Jesus expects his church to love one another so deeply, so sacrificially, that someone who comes into the family of God, even though they may have to leave behind everything, will be blessed with relationships, will be blessed with the the homes of of fellow Christians, that they can essentially say that they have inherited a new family. They have inherited a hundredfold homes and wealth and on. Jesus is making a promise to his disciples that the cost of the gospel, the call of the gospel, is worth it because he expects his church to live in such a way that makes it worth it. Jesus has promised, Jesus has assured his disciples that in following him, whatever loss you may suffer, you are going to gain far more through the hospitality and the generosity and the sacrifice of those who are sitting next to you and a part of your new family as a part of a children uh, as a part of a child of God. And that promise given to Jesus' disciples thousands of years ago endures today as well, to each person who is sitting in this room, who counts themselves among the people of God, Jesus's words in Mark chapter 10 assure us that life following Christ will be worth it because of the hospitality of others. Notice how one author puts it, this 100-fold blessing promised here in these verses is not going to fall from the sky. It is going to come from the church. It is going to come from the people of God acting like the family of God. God intends this blessing, this promise to come from you. So this morning, look to those who are on your left, those who are on your right, those who are sitting behind you, those who are sitting in front of you, those Think of the people that you just shook hands with during greeting time just a, a few moments ago. And ask yourself if you are taking Jesus' promise seriously. Jesus' promise to his church seriously. Are you treating what God has trusted you with in such a way that the person that you shook hands with could say, I may not be Jordan's flesh and blood, but he welcomes me into his life, into his family in such a way that I can count him as my brother, his home as my home, his family as my family. And as I read this text, I stand condemned. Hospitality is a non-negotiable of discipleship. It is not an optional add-on. Welcoming others in the church into your life and into your home is something that God considers to be normal 
for the Christian, for every Christian. It is something that we are to pursue with great ferocity in the exact same way that we are to pursue holiness in our lives. It is something that Jesus just assumes that the church is doing and in doing in such a way that those who sacrifice much to follow him will gain much as well. And so ask yourself, how am I helping fulfill Jesus' promise to his disciples? That's our first piece of, of hospitality this morning. The second piece is to, to recognize that it could be so easy to, to just stop right there, do a quick reflection of our own level of, of commitment to hospitality and just walk away feeling completely leveled down by guilt, weighed down by guilt, perhaps committed to make a change, but only doing so because we feel bad. But Scripture also reveals that that's not the primary motivation. It's not uh, even top 10 motivation for hospitality. Why are we to pursue a life of hospitality? Scripture reveals that our primary motive for being hospitable is because God was first hospitable to us. God's hospitality toward us is our own motivation to hospitality as well. If you were to, to examine or list some of the attributes, the character of God, what would come to mind for you? What comes to mind when you think of the character of God? Many of us would mention his power, his grace, his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, on and on. But I would venture a guess that none of us would probably say the hospitality of God is one of the most important things that we think of when we think of God's character. There are other things that come to mind instead. But... If we think of our definition of hospitality, and if we think of the way God interacts with humans in the Bible, hospitality is the perfect description of who he is. Remember what hospitality means. It's treating someone that is not family or a close friend as an honored guest, and usually by doing so in your home. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God welcomes Adam and Eve, the, the creation, into his, the creator's home, the Garden of Eden. He lavishes good gifts upon them. When they sin, in Genesis chapter 3, he promises a way for those that are strangers, those that are alienated from him, to one day return into his presence. The Old Testament is all about God's hospitality, God's love toward Israel. He welcomes them into his land. He lavishes blessing upon blessing upon blessing on them, even when they are unfaithful. And then we get to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we see the inestimable lengths that God goes to in order to welcome people into his family in the incarnation when Jesus comes to earth. Consider Paul's words to the church in Rome when charging them to be hospitable. Romans chapter 15, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How are we to welcome one another? How are we to know what it looks like for us to be hospitable, to be caring, to love one another? It's the same way that Christ has welcomed us into his family. And how does Christ welcome us? John 1 reveals that the creator became a part of his creation to welcome them into fellowship with him. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. 
The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Romans reveals to us the lengths that Christ went to to welcome us into his family. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were far from friends of God, far from even being a part of the family of God. We were sinners. We were separated by uh, an immeasurable distance from God, but he welcomes us into his family anyway by going to the cross. Consider Paul's words to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who you once were far off from, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were alienated and separated from Christ, we who were strangers to the covenants of promise, have been welcomed into God's family. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the primary reason, the primary reason we are to show hospitality is because of this, because Christ has shown us hospitality and welcoming us into his family. There are additional reasons for being hospitable. We could do so because it's an exercise in selflessness, which is a good thing. It models, models uh, healthy habits and, and rhythms and patterns to, uh, to children. It's good for your soul to build up relationships with others in the church. It provides opportunities to share the gospel with others. But the primary reason is because it embodies the gospel. It shows through your life, the gospel, what Jesus did in welcoming us who are strangers into the family of God. And so as we close, let's just consider briefly how we can live out this calling to hospitality, this calling to, to welcome others, what it looks like for us today. You see, God has a bigger and a costlier, a more sacrificial, but an infinitely more satisfying plan for your life than just having surface-level relationships with those who are sitting around you. God has a bigger plan for you. God has a bigger plan than just limiting our interactions to before or after the service or to greeting time. Do you believe that God has a plan for you, whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation, to embody that grace, to embody that love that Christ has for his people. Hospitality starts with the church. It starts towards one another. This is what the Apostle John makes it clear in 1 John when he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
The Apostle Peter says the exact same thing in 1 Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality starts with the church body. So ask yourself, what am I doing to, com- to fulfill Jesus' promise to the church in Mark chapter 10? Here are a few tangible ways to start, just uh, five of them. First, examine your life and give hospitality the exact same priority in your life that God gives it. If there is a disconnect between the emphasis that you place on hospitality, welcoming others, and what God does in Scripture, if you aren't radically pursuing hospitality the way God desires, if you're not embodying Jesus' promises to his disciples in Mark 10, then think carefully on how to restructure your life. Do so gradually, but do so intentionally. Have a goal in mind to more accurately reflect God's emphasis, the way God prioritizes welcoming others into your life. So examine your life. That's the first thing. Second, set a hospitality goal for yourself or for your family. Consider seriously what it would look like to flesh this out by living a life that invites people into your life and into your home. Let's be honest. Maybe some of you are terrible cooks. The, the thought of bringing people into your home and cooking them a meal is the, literally the most terrifying thing that you could ever imagine. Or maybe your, your home is too far away from, uh, from, from Spencer. You, you live far away and, and it's just not tangible. It just doesn't make sense to bring people into your home. Maybe, maybe your home's too small or there's a number of different, uh, different reasons why you wouldn't bring people into your home. So, so say, let's go out and grab a bite to eat. Or let's go for a walk. Or let's go out for coffee. Do something to welcome people into your home that makes sense, or welcome people into your life that makes sense based off of your life and your circumstances. For some of us here, it may mean that we uh, welcome people into our, uh, our lives once a quarter, someone that we don't know well from church. For others of us, it, it might be once a month. For others of us, it might even be once a week. Whatever it is, talk about it with your family or, or reflect on it as, as an individual and then, then write it down and post it prominently in your house, like on your refrigerator, so that way you remember it. Schedule a night each month or each week or each quarter. Put it on your calendar so that way it actually happens. Remember to pursue hospitality, not just hope that it will happen. Third, join a quarterly dinner group. We started these in the, the, the summer, and, and I think based off of the, the rhythm of life, it just makes sense to have these on a quarterly basis rather than on a monthly basis. And these are great ways to get to know others here at Crosswinds, those that we don't know well. So sign up in your bullets and on the Connect card and just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of a dinner group. And our church will, will gather those and put you in a dinner group, a place where you'll be able to fellowship with, with those that you may not know sometime during the fall quarter. You'll get to uh, gather with those people. Your group will decide when, where, how, how elaborate, how simple the, the gathering will be. Fourth, join a life group. Our life groups are going to be starting soon. Sign up on the Connect card. Again, if you're interested in joining a life group, these groups uh, pursue life transformation in the gospel, in community, and, and what a great way to practice hospitality, to get to know how we can love and care for one another. More information will be coming over the next few weeks about those groups as well. 
Finally, volunteer to help out with greeting or following up with visitors or connecting visitors in the church. You can do so by just marking it on your Connect card. Crystal and I, when we first got married, we, we uh, were living in the Chicago area. We began the daunting process of finding a church. And uh, long story, but we ended up going to a church that was about an hour from uh, where we lived, an hour drive uh, from our apartment. And it was a lot easier because we didn't have kids. But we were driving there. I remember the first time we were driving there, uh, driving to a service. We were about halfway there, and we realized we still had a half an hour to go. And and I, I just looked at Crystal and said, yeah, this is the last time we're ever going to this church. First time, last time, we just can't make this drive. There's no way we're going to make this drive every single week. And then we show up at the church. We got to the church, and in the first seven days, we were welcomed into three homes for meals. And we looked at each other and said, well, I guess we're going to be going to this church. We felt so loved. We felt so cared for by the people who took hospitality seriously, and they always made extra food on Sundays. Or if, or if they couldn't bring people into their home on a Sunday, they, they were intentional to say, hey, can you come over on Monday or on Tuesday to join us for a meal? That we attended that church for the duration of our time. We actually moved closer. We moved further away from our jobs and moved closer to this church so we could be a part of that congregation. What if the same thing were true here? What if the same thing were true here? What if you saw your ministry here at Crosswinds to have extra food ready on Sunday for lunch so that you could just invite someone over? Or what if you saw that your ministry here at Crosswinds was to identify those that you do not know well or those that may be uh, visiting for their first time and just say, hey, I can't have you over for lunch today, but what about later this week to invite people into your lives and to invite people into your home? If that's something you're interested in doing, but you're not sure where to start, again, just just let us know on that Connect card and throw it in the offering bags as those are passed here in just a few moments. Hospitality doesn't have to be complex. In fact, it it is radically simple. It, It is to take someone by the hand and to bring them to the hospitable. It is to bring them into this place where they feel welcomed, this place where they feel honored, they feel cared for. And as we stand here at the precipice of another church year, looking forward to what God is calling us to do during this ministry year, I pray that you would take seriously our church's calling to pursue hospitality the exact same way that Christ has pursued you. And the bulletin, as I mentioned, there are a number of ways that you can sign up and on your Connect card. I encourage you to do that uh, here in just over the next few moments as, as, we, as we finish. And as we close, I just want us to imagine what this would look like if we would keep this command. If we would actually keep this command that Jesus has given to his disciples. Years ago, a coalition of pastors in the Denver suburbs got together and they made a commitment together that said, we want to make a difference in our community. We want to transform our community as the church, the capital C church, not just our local congregations. And so they got together with the mayor of this suburb and they sat down with the mayor and they said, hey, what what can we do as churches? What can we do to to bless this city, to bless this community? And the way the the mayor responded was was just life-changing for these people. The mayor said to them, the majority of the issues facing our community could be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to be a community of good neighbors. If we could just figure out a way to be a community of good neighbors.
What if that started with us? What if that started with us, to be a, a church that is committed to love one another so well, to, that a, a church that is committed to love, the God, uh, love those that are around us so well, that we take seriously Jesus' charge to love your neighbor? What part will you play in God's charge to change the world through the simplest means imaginable? By being a friend by being someone who cares. Pursue hospitality the way Christ pursues you, and that's how you can change the world. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to live lives that honor you, to live lives that take seriously the charge to welcome others the exact same way that you have welcomed us. Give us strength, give us wisdom to know what that looks like for us as individuals, as families. And God, I pray that as we go from here, we wouldn't do so out of a sense of guilt, but instead in a desire to reflect, embody the gospel in the way you have welcomed us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.